Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Last week, we started a series on relationships called It's Complicated. And I asked you to respond last week. I'm gonna ask you to do it again. If you have ever been in a complicated relationship of any kind, raise your hand. If your hand's not raised, I'd really love to talk to you after church because... I'm not sure how you've made it this long. (laughs) Um, But man, complicated relationships are just a thing, aren't they? I mean, you know, you got marriage, that's complicated. I had a husband last week come up to me after church and he was like, so you're telling me, you said it's complicated, but it doesn't have, is there any marriage that's not complicated? I was like, well, I don't know. He was like, then you need to change what you said. You need to change, I was like, Okay, well, that's so, you know, marriages can be complicated and dating relationships can be complicated and friendships and coworkers and uh, family dynamics of all kinds. I mean, it just can be complicated, but according to God's word, it doesn't always have to be. I'm so thankful that God's word, the Bible speaks to complicated relationships. And last week, we told seven stories from scripture. We went to seven stories that had complicated relationships in them. And so today, we're going to look to three more stories that I think will help us to unpack even further what God's Word says to us about complicated relationships. And the three stories today really deal with generational relationships, generational or multi-generational relationships, and the complications that may exist there. But here's what you need to know right up front. Your life will be better when it includes people from different generations. Your life will be better when it includes people from different generations. We're Generations Church. We believe that this can be a place of faith in Jesus Christ for all generations. And so what we want you to know is that you have value individually, your generation has value, and there's something that other people and other generations need that God is doing on the inside of you. But even outside of spiritual context and church context, studies have shown that older people, so let's just pause right here. If you would say, I'm an older people, raise your hand. There's no shame in that. I'm an older people, okay? If you say, I'm a younger people, raise your hand. If you would say, I'm, I'm like in the middle people, I'm, I'm a in the middle people, all right, okay. Well, then those middle people, there may be some things I say where you kind of gravitate to the older people crowd, and there's some things I say that you gravitate to the younger people crowd, but studies have shown that older people who don't have younger people in their life are lonelier, more easily irritable more fearful, and lack a sense of fulfillment. Those same studies show that younger people who don't have older people in their life are more prone to make decisions they regret, live with more self-doubt, are less patient, and describe themselves as more directionless. What we tend to do in life is we tend to gravitate towards people that are the same age or same stage of life that we're in. When you're a student, you're in a classroom with other students kind of your age, When you get a little older, maybe you go to college or you start to work a job, you might be in the entry-level positions with other people that are just starting out. You tend to get families and you start to do life with people that also have kids kind of your age and you play on the same ball teams or do the same club activities or you go to the same parks or you, whatever that is, and you start to just kind of flock together with people that are at the same age or stage of life. And then maybe you get to a place where you're retired and you live in a community with other people or you hang out with other people that are retired, nothing wrong with any of those things, but we do need to look beyond the same age and same stage to see who else is around us that God may desire for us to be in relationship with. All of these studies tell us how much value we can draw from one another. 
As an aside, there are other studies who have shown that grandparents who babysit their grandchildren are healthier and stay younger longer. So if you have grandchildren, you need to babysit them. If you do not have grandchildren, there are some young parents in our church who have paid me to ask you to babysit their children. You need to adopt some grandchildren from within our church. Corey and I have been upstairs today in between services in the G-Kids lobby, and there's some great parents up there who are handing out $20 bills for you to pay. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we do need each other. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the chapter of scripture that we draw the name of our church from, and it tells us that parents should write the law, the commands, the decrees of God on the doorposts of the house. They should talk about them with their children as they walk down the road and they sit down for meals together. Jesus said, let the children come unto me when the disciples are trying to keep the church organized and not quite as chaotic. There is a generational aspect to the gospel. So today we're going to look at three generational stories that are complicated, but maybe we can learn something so that they don't have to be. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to the book of First Kings in the Old Testament. It is before Second Kings in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to look at the story of two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Now, these two names are very similar, and perhaps you've heard them, but you don't know who comes first and who comes second, who's older and who's younger. I'm going to give you a really great life hack here. Jah comes before Shah, right? Jah comes, some of you just got the Holy Ghost right there. But I mean, the idea here is Elijah is older and Elisha is younger. Elijah recruits Elisha to come after him and to follow him. Now, it is not abnormal that older ministers, older prophets, older judges, older rabbis, masters, teachers in the Old Testament or the New Testament would have disciples, would have a group of people that followed after them. Jesus was not the only person in, in his day and time that was a teacher of some kind who also had disciples following after him. Almost all of the scholars, the teachers, religious leaders of that day had a group of people that were following them, learning from them, and trying to then teach what they were being taught. Well, in the Old Testament, you had these schools of prophets. You had these groups of prophets that would run together, and they would kind of hang out together, and they would be used by God to speak prophecy and to foretell of the things that were to come. And so here in this moment, Elijah, the older prophet, is going to come and recruit the younger prophet, the younger man of God, that perhaps the call of God was on his life to come and follow him. So we read this in 1 Kings 19, beginning in verse 19. So Elijah, the older, went from there and found Elisha, the younger, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. That cloak's important. We're going to talk about it again in a minute. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him, went back, took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah, and he became his servant. Now, older generations and younger generations trying to do life together, it can be complicated, but I love what we see in this story because the older generation went seeking the younger generation, which requires great humility. So often, older generations, mentors, 
fathers and mothers, grandfathers and grandmothers of the faith and of life and of business, they want to wait until the younger generation comes to them seeking to be mentored, seeking to ask questions. Can I have 30 minutes of your time? I've got five questions I want to ask you. Can I take you to lunch? Can I, like I, and there is something powerful about that, and that can and should happen sometimes. But in this story, the older generation went looking for the younger generation. And he shows up in his field and he throws his cloak. He takes something of his, something that represented his power, his anointing, his calling, and he puts it on the younger generation as a stamp of approval. He says, hey, I want you to come and do life with me. I want you to come and do ministry with me. He throws that cloak upon him. He says, hey, come, I've identified something in you that is special. And let me just say to you older folks, whoever you are, there is something powerful about somebody like you saying to somebody younger than you, I see something special in you. There is a generation of people on the planet right now who have never had somebody older than them look at them and say, you're valuable, you're gifted, you're talented. John Maxwell says that every single human on the face of the earth under the age of 40 flocks to the oldest person that takes them seriously. Let me just say to you, like you have power in your words You have power in your ability to speak life into somebody younger than you, and they are potentially craving that. It requires humility for an older generation to go after a younger person and say, hey, I want you to come and do life with me. But what we also see here is that the younger generation eagerly followed and served the older generation. Sometimes younger people don't always like the idea of serving someone older than them. They feel like, hey, I've arrived. I know what I'm talking about. I've got more information at my fingertips than you had at your fingertips. I know I'm I'm further along than you were. I got here faster. I know what I'm doing. And so, so often what happens is we don't have enough humility as younger people to recognize the role that servanthood plays in getting us into rooms that we are not yet prepared for. We've got to serve and live our lives in such a way that says, hey, I am humble enough to recognize that I may know some things, I may have some knowledge, but I may lack some wisdom. I may not know how to apply it yet. I may not know how to put it into practice yet. So will you help me to understand how to do that? Second Kings chapter two, which again is the next book, this is the continuation of this story. Elijah and Elisha have walked around, they've done life, they've done ministry, amazing things have happened. And now it's coming to the end of the time that Elijah would be on the earth and rumors are spreading, word is spreading that God is just going to take Elijah up to heaven. He's not gonna die. That God's just gonna take him up to heaven. And so the school of prophets, these people are telling Elisha, the young protege, hey, did you hear that like Elijah, he's about to be called up? He's like, yeah, I heard. Back off, I got this, you know? And Elijah says to him, hey, I'm going to go over here. And Elisha's like, oh, I'm going to go with you. And Elijah said, well, I'm going to go over here now. And Elisha's like, well, I'm going with you. It's like a toddler. He won't leave him alone. And so Elijah says, eventually he says, hey, what do you want from me? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of your anointing. I want a double portion of your blessing. And so Elijah says to him, if you see me when I'm taken up, you will receive it. And there is something here for older generations to hear a younger person make like a big, bold claim. Something happens as we get older. We get a little more cautious. We get a little more like, oh, slow down, just wait. And sometimes we hear younger people just make these big, bold declarations and 
what seems like an outlandish claim, but what we see here in Elijah is he didn't rebuke him. He didn't correct him. He didn't tell him there was something he said that was wrong. He says, okay, here's, here's how you get it. Just continue to serve. Just continue to be faithful. And if you're there, the day it happens, you'll get what you're asking for. That moment comes and God calls Elijah up to heaven and he is brought to heaven. And as he disappears, his cloak falls to the earth. And Elisha goes and picks it up and he puts it on. And he eventually goes and he redoes a miracle that he saw Elijah do. And he strikes the water and the waters are rolled back. And he sees that God is able to work through him just like God worked through his mentor. And the other prophets that see it say, hey, surely God is at work in Elisha and he has a double portion of the anointing of Elijah. If you are a part of the older generation, it should be your honor. It should be something that you set as a goal in your heart to make sure that those who come after you achieve more than you do, that they're able to accomplish more than you accomplish. It shouldn't be a threat to your pride. It shouldn't create insecurity. You should be looking at those who come after you, your physical sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters, and those that are spiritual sons and daughters and those that are a part of your job and your workplace, for you to say, I hope you do more than I did. I hope you get double the blessing. You have double the anointing, double the calling, double the success. That's what we should strive for and hope for. And this is not just about earthly inheritance and leaving them money in the bank necessarily. But something happens so often as we get older, we tend to keep all the blessings for ourselves, And when we're gone, we leave them all the baggage to deal with. And what we should actually do is try to work as hard as we can to deal with all the baggage and leave them all the blessing. Hey, I've cleaned up every relationship I can. I've made sure all the finances are in order. I've, I've, I've sold this off. I've done this. I've had the conversations. I've forgiven of all the places I was hurt. I've worked hard to find freedom from addiction so those didn't pass down to the next. I've dealt with all the baggage and I'm leaving you all the blessing, but it's usually the opposite. I keep the blessing for myself and I leave the baggage for my children, and that's not what we're called to do. It's complicated sometimes, but it doesn't have to be. Here's the second story. It's in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you go to 1 Samuel 1, you're going to read this amazing story about a woman who was barren. She couldn't have a child. God blesses her with the ability to conceive, get pregnant, have a child, and so she promises to give that child back to the Lord. So she brings that child to the temple Samuel, her son, is now under the care of the prophet Eli. And we read this famous story now that Samuel is growing up there in the house of the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 says this. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli, and he said, here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down, and again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up, and he went to Eli, and he said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called Samuel. 
And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if the Lord calls again, you should say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. Verse 21 says this, the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Now, the reason that this relationship is complicated is because Eli has two physical sons, Hophni and Phinehas, right? Funny names, Hophni and Phinehas. And the scriptures tell us about these two boys. One translation calls them scoundrels. Like these are just not good dudes. That they, they want the blessing of God without a relationship with God. They want to use the Ark of the Covenant for their own personal reasons and for success and victory, but they do not want God's actual presence in their life. They just want what God's strength and power can do for their life. They're evil. They're wicked in all of their ways. And so now Eli has these two sons that God is not going to bless but he's helping to raise a boy, a spiritual son in the house of God that God is blessing and beginning to speak through. And so Eli has a choice. The first two times Samuel comes in, hey, you called me? No, I didn't go back to bed. Hey, you called me? No, I did not go back to bed. Hey, you called me. And Eli realizes that God is speaking to the younger generation. And he says, okay, here's what you do. The next time you hear the voice of God, you just say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And he'll begin to speak. Eli had a choice. He could have said, no, I want God to speak to my real sons, my my flesh and blood. But he recognized that God was using him to give guidance to spiritual sons, spiritual daughters. And you and I have that same opportunity. Some of you have spiritual sons and daughters, and you should invest in their faith and their well-being. You should set an example. You should guide them and lead them towards possessing their own relationship with God. But you can also look around and recognize that there are people in your sphere of influence who don't have anyone modeling the way for them. They don't have anybody showing them what it looks like to follow after Jesus Christ and have a personal relationship with him. They can be spiritual sons and daughters for you. We have an incredible ministry upstairs, G-Kids. You can hear the pitter-patter of little feet and moving of tables right now. Babies through fifth graders. And there are an incredible team of leaders. Some of you are a part of that team. You are not babysitting. It is not childcare. It's spiritual discipleship and investment in the next generation, giving them guidance to know when the voice of God may be speaking to them and how they should respond. Tonight, we've got our generation youth, middle schoolers and high schoolers that are gonna come and to be a part of twin night, you need to dress up as twins or triplets or come by yourself in a fancy outfit and see if you don't win. They're gonna have a blast. We feed them pizza and wings and all kinds of things from time to time. It is not childcare And it's not just some kind of teen hangout. It's spiritual growth and maturity and discipleship and worship and teaching them how to pray and small group interactions because there are groups of people that are investing them. They are the Eli's to our young Samuels to say, this is what the word of God is trying to say to you. This is what God is speaking and here's how you respond to him and here's how you open yourself up to hear from him. 
You need to put yourself in that kind of environment. If you're a student, if you're a parent, try to get your kids into those environments to allow other people to help them to nurture your children, their spiritual sons and daughters into hearing the voice of God. But if you are a student in the room, if you, if you are a part of the younger generation of any age, I love this part of the story that we read about where Samuel was at when God was speaking. It says, Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of, the God, of God was. He, he was. he was in the place, in the presence of God. Now, it later says that he didn't yet know God. God hadn't revealed himself to him yet, but he was in the presence of God. And it's in that place that God began to speak. Now, here, here's what we know. God can speak anywhere that you are. I believe that. God can speak when you're driving in your car. God can speak in your bedroom. God can speak on your job. God can speak in this room. Where, where God can speak to you. And, and scripture tells us that we are his sheep and his sheep know his voice. But sometimes the noise of other voices drown out the voice of God. And we might not be able to hear the voice of God as clearly, and we might not be able to recognize the voice of God as he speaks to us. And so we have to continue to put ourselves in environments where we go, I can hear God's voice. I've drowned out the clutter and the noise and the chaos and all the other things that are pulling from my attention so that I can hear the voice of God. So I can eat anywhere in my house, right? But I'm more likely to be fed in my kitchen than in my garage, now, we have three teenage boys. I could probably find food in my garage right now. I'm sure I could. There's an Uncrustable somewhere in the corner, I'm sure. But, like I, but I'm more likely to find nourishment in a place where that is its primary purpose. Like, get into spiritual environments and ask God to speak to you there. It's not a magic formula. God can speak to you anywhere. But if you are neglecting spiritual places, you ought not be upset if you are not having spiritual experiences. Like, it's like, why, why is God not speaking to me? Are you listening to him? Are you listening for him? Are you removing the other things? We started the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting, and a part of that was to fast from some things that would lower the volume in our lives so that we could more clearly through prayer hear the voice of God. But that doesn't have to end on the 21st day. It can continue as we constantly ask God to speak to us. In this story, the younger generation took his uncertainty to an older generation, and he received guidance there. Older people, you have an opportunity to give guidance and wisdom to younger people. And younger people, you have an opportunity to glean incredible wisdom if you will listen and apply it. Here's the third story. It's found in Ruth chapter 1, also an Old Testament story. Ruth chapter 1. To set this story up, you have a man named Abimelech and his wife, Naomi, and they have two sons, and those two sons marry two foreign women. So now you have mom and dad and two couples. They move off, and shortly after they move, the father and the two sons are killed. And so now Naomi, the mother-in-law, says to the daughter-in-laws, hey, listen, I mean, I can't provide you another son. I can't really provide you anything. Even if I had another son right now, are you going to wait around until he grows up? And then I can't offer you anything. So go back home. Go back to your family. Go back to your land. Go back to the place that you grew up. And, and just, just, I release you. And this is the story of that in Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. It says, and they wept aloud again. 
Then Orpah, one of the daughter-in-laws, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth, the other daughter-in-law, clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. It's complicated. This is in-laws. It's mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws and son-in-laws and death and grief, and it is complicated. And so these two women, Naomi and Ruth, in a culture where the women needed a man to provide, no matter how you feel about that, that was that culture. They, they couldn't get a job. They couldn't provide for themselves. They were at the mercy of other people to give them everything that they needed. So they eventually move again, and they, they find themselves in a place where they are hungry. And so Naomi says to Ruth, we've got a distant relative that owns a field. Why don't you go and work around the edges of his field and see if you can't glean some of the grain and some of the, the produce from his field that his workers leave behind as they keep moving through the field. And so that's what she does. Well, word gets back to this distant relative. His name is Boaz. And he hears that there's this woman doing this, but it's not some random woman. It is the former uh, wife of a distant relative through his distant relative, Naomi. And there's this old tradition and custom and law among their people that this idea of a kinsman redeemer I love this story because it's a foreshadowing to Jesus that he is our redeemer. He's a kinsman redeemer. He provides for us. He atones for us. He speaks for us. He speaks up for us. And so Boaz says, hey, yeah, just glean from my, you take whatever you need from my fields. He goes to the leaders of the community and he says, hey, I want to provide for not just Ruth, but her mother-in-law, Naomi, this distant relative of mine. And He eventually gets permission to be the kinsman redeemer, and then he takes Ruth as his wife. And together they have a child, and this is what we read in Ruth chapter 4, verse 16. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. Naomi's the grandmother. And the the women living there said, Naomi has a son. It's actually her grandson. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David, King David the one who would establish the throne of David, from which Jesus the Messiah would come. The story of Ruth is really important because up to this point, we've been establishing the story, the history, and the laws of the Hebrew people. And from this point, we're going to establish the throne of God's people and the lineage of God's people that God will use to bring the actual Savior, the actual Redeemer for God's people and for the world. The story of Ruth helps connect the dots because David comes from Jesse, comes from Obed, comes from a woman that is not of their line, except that she didn't go back home to her people. She stayed connected to Naomi. She stayed connected to the people of God. She was raised up in position and connected to the lineage through Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. And the family of God and the story of God could continue because of this generational connection between Naomi and Ruth. It's complicated. It's complicated, but it doesn't have to be. 
Generational relationships aren't always about what you receive right now. Sometimes these relationships are about what can happen down the road, which is what happened here with this baby that was born that would be a part of the plans of God. But we need each other. If you're an older generation person, there are some younger people in your life and in our church, and they may not need your parenting advice, but they need you to offer to watch their kids so they can have their first date night in a while. They need your recipes because nobody passed recipes down to them. They need to know how to patch a hole or hang a light, and you know how to do that, and you can teach them. Some of the younger generation, you don't realize that in your attempt to act like you have it all together, you're missing out on a bunch of people who love you and who love your family and who love what God can do through your life. They aren't trying to replace your parents or your grandparents. They just want to help. So open up, be honest, ask questions. But if you're a younger person, I encourage you, offer to help them too. Don't just be in it for what you get from it. It sounds cliche, but at our senior adult luncheon in December, one of the things that we heard from some of the older generation is, I need somebody to come help me fix my phone. I don't know how to get my email on my phone, or I had it at one point, and now I'm not getting anything but a Nigerian king trying to send me money, right? It's like, can somebody come to my house and fix my printer? You're laughing, but this is what they were asking for. Some of you know how to do that, and you would love to show up and help. Like, you, you could offer them some assistance. Every time I go to see my grandfather, I've told you about my grandfather. He's about this tall. His name's YZ. When I show up to Peepaw's house, he's been storing stuff for about three or four months that he just needs a young back to help him with. I are young back right here, you know. Some of you have a young back, and you could just offer to help because we need one another. Because God uses us differently, each of us. Joel chapter 2, the prophet says this in verses 28 and 29, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. There's a special anointing on sons and daughters that moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas need. But there's a special anointing on moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas that sons and daughters need. Old men will dream dreams, and young men will see visions. Men and women will receive the power of the Holy Spirit and see amazing things happen, and dreams and visions look different. But if you are young, you don't have to wait your turn. God can use you now. And if you are old, you aren't done yet. God can use you now. Because it can be complicated, generational relationships but it doesn't have to be. You just have a conversation with somebody that probably doesn't look like you, doesn't talk like you, doesn't watch the same shows you watch, even in the same way you watch them, but who has something on the inside of them that you need and who probably recognizes that you have something on the inside of you that they need. It's complicated sometimes but it doesn't have to be. Generational relationships, God is calling us to them. They can be a little work, but they are so worth it. They're so worth it. 
Don't give up when it gets hard. Just keep coming back time and time and time again. In just a moment, we're going to go into our time of baptism. And so if you showed up today and you are prepared to be baptized, you registered and maybe went through the class and got all the information. When I ask everybody to bow their heads, I'm gonna ask you and your family and friends that are here with you to go out that door and into the lobby and our team's gonna help you to know right where to go and right what to do. Or maybe today you showed up and you weren't prepared to be baptized, but you know this is your day and you want to go public with the work that God has done in your heart and in your life. I encourage you to just stand up and to go into the lobby and our team will help you as well. So as soon as I have everybody bow their heads, if that's you, just stand up right where you're at. You go to the lobby. So here's what I want you to do right now. Every single person in the room, except those that are gonna move, just bow your head right where you're at. Just a moment of reflection. Everybody else, you can move as you need to. Go to the lobby so we can celebrate with you. I'm gonna give you a chance to move. But every other person right where you're at, just this is a moment of reflection. Just an opportunity to think about what God may be saying to you today what he might be speaking into your heart and into your life. And if you would say to me today, Jeremy, for me, I know that I am not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I want him to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I wanna pray for you. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Anybody else? And now if you would say, Jeremy, for me, I I just wanna be more intentional to invest in generational relationships. People that are older than me, people that are younger than me, whatever that looks like. I just wanna be more intentional in generational relationships. If that's you, would you lift your hand right where you're at? So many of us today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you today. We thank you for all that you've done all day long. What an incredible day. And so God, I pray now for those who lifted their hands in this service to accept you as the Lord and Savior of their life. They're joining others throughout this day that have also made that decision. And they're joining so many others from within this church family who have also made that decision. And so God, we celebrate with heaven for the decision that they've made now. And if that's you and you lifted your hand, I encourage you just use your own words to say, God, forgive my sins, be my Lord, change my eternity right now. We believe that he will. And now if you raised your hand, I'm just praying for you. God, I pray right now for those who, who just said, I need help, I need intention in generational relationships. Just call out a name or two. If there's somebody on your heart, somebody, a neighbor, a, a kid, a grandparent, a person in the church, a person in the community, just call out a name. God, would you just help them right now for whatever name's on their mind, whatever name's in their heart or just an openness to be used by you and to receive from you the blessing of these kinds of generational relationships. God, would this be a place that you use every single one of us, young and old, male and female, to be a blessing to others as you pour your spirit out upon us. So God, we thank you now for all you have done and all you will do. Bless these next few moments of celebration and baptism. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day and God bless.